welcome to the My Breast, My Health podcast. My name is Tasha Gandhi and I am your host, and I'm also a breast cancer surgeon. The aim of this podcast is to help you through and beyond a breast cancer diagnosis so that you can reclaim your health, continue to thrive and live your best life. During this episode, I interview experts in the field of medicine, nutrition, as well as those in the health and wellness space. I also share stories of those who have been affected by breast cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Anne Bruinvels. Anne is an expert in digital health and personalized healthcare. Amongst other roles, she was the executive director at the European Personalized Medicine Association. During this time, she realized that the experience of patients following a cancer diagnosis could be much improved. Together with her brother, she created the OWISE Breast Cancer app. We talked about so many various topics, including the role of digital technology in healthcare, how these various technologies can be used in a positive way, while still protecting privacy and respecting patient confidentiality. At the end of this episode, Anne describes what to look out for so that you know the health app you are downloading on your phone is secure and safe. Those tips on their own are total gold, so I would definitely stick to the end so you can hear what they are. I had a fantastic time chatting with Anne, and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Anne Brinvels. So Anne, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And um, yeah, how are you today? Oh, Tasha, I'm great. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. Um, it's such an honor that um, you felt there was some interest in, in having this conversation. But I very much, uh, yeah, enjoyed speaking so far with you. Um, so it's, it's wonderful to be here and things are fine. It's sunny where I am. Where are you at the moment? Oh, today I'm actually, um, I'm in, in actually in, in what they call confinement in isolation in, um, in France. So, um, it's all right. right. I don't mind. We have very strict lockdown here, but I don't mind because, um, it gives me good opportunity to work and, uh, and the, the scenery here is great. So I can enjoy that. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time today. So you are the founder of the OWISE platform, which is a personalized cancer support app. And we will be talking about OWISE in more details later. But before we do that, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what it is that you do, please? Of course. My background is um, I'm originally from the Netherlands um, and I I'm a scientist by training. I studied pharmacy, which is essentially something that comes in very handy with the, the work that we do right now. And it's really been the basis of my, my education. I was very interested in understanding always how um, drugs, medication work um, on the human body. So I followed my studies with pharmacy, with um, which I did in the Netherlands, by the way, in a place called Groningen, um, up north in, in the country. Um, I followed that by a PhD that I did in um, in Switzerland, actually. And that was very much focused on understanding how drugs interact with the human brain. So I was very interested in, in the human brain and how that functioned and became very much of a molecular scientist. Um, 
once I'd done that, I felt I really wanted to get into drug discovery and discover new drugs, um, which was really a great ambition of mine. And while I was doing that, I uh, felt that there was a fantastic or a real need to make sure people get the right drugs at the right time. So very much I started to focus in a time when there wasn't a lot of talk about personalized medicine, we started and I started to focus on personalized medicine and um, because it made so much sense. You just don't want to treat everyone with the same treatment. You want to make sure people get the right treatment at the right time. So I, by that time, I moved to the UK. So ages ago now, I think 25 years ago, even more, I, I moved um, from Switzerland to the UK, started my first proper job there in, um, in, in research and development for uh, uh, central nervous system disorders. And, um, and then after a while, which is essentially psychiatric diseases, and after a while, I um, realized that we could do things differently and, and that we could identify much more accurate drugs that could treat very specific patient populations. I created um, a data mining, you would call it a, a biotechnology um, company for that um, with, a, with a group of friends. Right. So we created this um, created this biotech company to understand better and to to um, discover new drugs for for psychiatric disease, and um, and again that was near Cambridge in the UK. And following that, I believed um, I really wanted to that that company was actually bought and then initially listed on the London Stock Exchange and then it was bought. And and after that, I I felt I wanted to take some time out and do some not not for profit work and joined. Right. Um, the European Personalized Medicine Association um, for a short time as their as their executive director. And the reason was that I felt that we really needed, and this was back in 2010, um, we really needed to make sure that that these personalized treatments and personalized diagnostic tools could find a place into people's hands um, much better and that the patients and people around uh, people affected with um, with a variety of human conditions could could find information much more easily that was appropriate for them. So so that's really what I did before I started the um, the journey with um, with OIs focusing purely on cancer and um, yeah so that that brings me I think um, to where we are today. Wow, that's that's uh, that's such an interesting journey up until now, and you're obviously very you know, your area of expertise is in personalized medicine and personalized healthcare. So why do you think this is so important? It is really important because people receive treatments and they should receive treatments that really work and that um, help them. But you can only give people the right treatment if you know what type of ailment or what type of disease they have exactly. So it's all fine, and obviously we'll, we'll talk a lot more about breast cancer today, but it's it's obviously breast cancer is diagnosed because there's a tumor and there's a cancer piece of tissue in the breast. But there are a whole variety of reasons why that may occur, and then I'm, I'm talking a lot about the the underlying biology of why why particular diseases occur. So you want to make sure then that, that you treat people in the right way, and not with drugs that don't work. And sometimes it's really quite hard to find out if drugs actually work. And particularly in the area where I started um, in, 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 in psychiatry, the only way to diagnose um, 
a patient and to give them a, a, a diagnosis following the classification is by by a questionnaire and ask, answer, having them answer questions. And I felt that was so inadequate that purely questions about what we then call, you know, the phenotype, the way the disease manifests itself, um, that that would give a classification to what type of disease someone has and how that should be treated. I felt that was so inadequate that, yes, personalized medicine became the the best way to, first of all, better diagnose people who have particular issues and particular conditions. And then secondly, then choose what the most appropriate treatment would be. So it becomes much more, and I know it's it's a word I don't really use a lot, but I the more and more I speak to clinicians, they, they start to use the word holistic a lot more, which is, I think, really important that we look at people as a whole organism rather than purely at, at one or two aspects of it. So, yeah, for me, that is probably, it's quite funny that you, you ask this, it's probably one of the most important things why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yes, that's really great because especially now we are developing, you know, new drugs, new technologies to be able to personalize medicine and personalize healthcare. And, you know, we have better tools now to be able to decipher exactly the tumor biology. For example, as you know, in breast cancer, as as you know, we can give better targeted treatment depending on the cancer type, which 10, 15 years ago, we were not able to do that. So definitely personalized medicine is the future. I know you, you know, you're very passionate about tech and, you know, personalized healthcare. And of course, we now live in the digital age and health apps are becoming more available and patients are increasingly using them in order to help with their health needs. In what ways do you think digital health tech can be of use to patients and how they can be of benefit to patients? Yes, that's a, it's a massive topic because digital health, which, which is why it's probably also so interesting, is, is evolving and evolving at such a speed that um, things we can think of today will be really old-fashioned tomorrow. So <laughs> thinking probably, of the yeah. shelf life of what I'm going to say, I have to be quite careful here. Yeah? Um, so <laughs> digital health is, 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 I think, and this is probably the best way to look at it, it's, it's just how we do things. How we, how we deal with healthcare and health, but using the tools that we have around us and the technologies that are available. So we call it digital health, but it should be just health or it should be just healthcare if, if you want to care about particular conditions related to health. So it is really, I, I think if you look at, and this is probably used by other people as examples as well, but if you look at banking, for example, or at shopping, you don't call it digital banking or digital shopping. We used to, but then it disappears because um, even this morning I heard that you know Tesco has totally reinvented itself as a as a as an online retailer, whereas obviously we knew the shop, the supermarket chain, because of because of its um, its presence in the high street. So digital is just a, a way to get there. And the one thing we haven't done particularly well in health and healthcare just yet. Is, is really using that. And there are really good reasons why it was harder to, or why it's quite hard to do things well in, in digital health, um, because things have to be done well, because we're dealing with health and we're dealing with people 
whose lives may depend on it. And we're dealing with personal information um, that needs to be really well protected. Um, But at the end of the day, we're just looking at digital health, how it can play a role. So what we can do is extrapolate and see what we can do in other areas of technology and how that can have an impact on, on health. So, I can very well imagine that what we have right now is is mobile technology, mobile phones, and um, and we are being led as well by what um, our users and people around us are asking for. So um, the reason why O was was created and O stands for oncology and wise is essentially to to wisen up was that <laughs> that's great <laughs> was that people were sitting in the waiting room um, my brother who I'm working with actually he's a he's a, a clinical occupational physician and he is specialized in oncology helping cancer patients um, with their return to work and with their rehabilitation and he said people are just sitting there to do everything on their phone and they ask me why is there nothing on my phone to help me get back to work sooner and and those are things that are really important to us that we we develop things that suit people's needs and necessities things they really need to get better sooner and Mobile phones can help, but um, digital is also still online. So we also work in the field of prostate cancer where we make sure we have a, uh, an, 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 a beautiful sort of web application that people can use from their computers because we, um, we worked with a lot of men as well who said we really want to access this from a computer rather than from a phone. So we just make sure that all the digital tools that we can use are being applied to give people a better experience um, during their disease yeah. uh, treatment. And um, and that, that can be used. And obviously, then you can start to look at all the other technologies that are out there that are being used by finance, by um, other high R&D, R&D intensive industries, um, such as aeronautics. And then you can start to combine things. So obviously, everything that um, we talk about it some t- up some stage during our conversations with physicians or with um, technology people will involve things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. But at the end of the day, it's that's not what it's about. It's about making sure that we uh, fill the needs that patients have to support them better. And um, yes, and it could be a whole range of things. I think the title digital does perhaps scare people a little bit was actually, you know, what you have in your back pocket or your hand or your bag, i.e. the smartphone is probably one of the most powerful, you know, things that we can use on a day-to-day level um, that can help impact in a positive way, you know, what we do and, and, and our lives in general. And I think you're writing that for, for those who are looking for help in their health treatment process, in their, their journeys, there's so many health apps out there um, and all they have to do is download it and then, you know, have a look at it and decipher whether it's useful to them and may or may not use it depending on whether that fulfill, you know, their needs. But everything around us is digital now. And, uh, you know, I I remember uh, when we started to do online banking, I remember that. And, you know, the the fear surrounding that, whether that's a safe thing to do and is it trustworthy, is it robust enough? And 
now is just, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I actually went to a bank. It's been years. Um, and now that's just the norm, isn't it? Whereas I think in healthcare, because it is quite a traditional area, really, digital technology has been embraced rather slower than other other areas, wouldn't you say? Would you agree with that? Yes, I don't want to be too direct, um, but um, healthcare is a very conservative field generally, not because of the people who work there, absolutely not. They're very, um, very progressive, but it is the the systems that are very slowly moving. And um, it is that there's a lot of legacy and the investments are also very, very large. So it is very hard to change things in healthcare, uh, particularly quickly. And having said that, um, with COVID, I think everyone has seen that if there's a need, uh, things will change. So we see that, um, obviously, with a, a really great demand for um, our apps. And, um, and that is because it is clear that people need to, they cannot go to the hospital anymore. So when there's all of a sudden a new need, then we can see that even healthcare can change more quickly. So I think it's still very important, as you said, you know, that the security and the privacy is, is for us as a, as a company is really massively important because that's we we live with the trust of our users. And if they can't trust us because we don't do it well or we haven't invested enough, then I think um, that's that's really critical and could be very damaging. Um, but as long as we make sure we do that to the very best of our ability, then um, having these tools can make a massive difference. In, for example, people just don't have to go to the hospital anymore. They can have a meaningful conversation with their clinician by sharing the right data at the right time and making sure that their doctors have that information um, even before the phone call, for example. So, and, and really, patients are very happy as well because often, particularly if we go to areas a bit more up north here in the UK or other remote areas um, uh, throughout the world, we can see that people really spend days um, per month sometimes and certainly per year traveling to just get to their appointments in time. And um, so it is for, for patients and for people who have um, health conditions much heavier to, to travel than for people who, who don't have um, have any, any issues. So from that point of view, we really want to make sure people people get the best experience, and with that comes comes this type of technology. And now, obviously, that is um, it's, it can be embedded more quickly. Um, generally, it can be accepted more quickly. I should probably say embedded is another story, <laughs> but it, it is accepted much more much more quickly now, and that's um, I think really important for the further development and um, um, of, of of using these tools in healthcare. I think you're you're right uh, because because of the pandemic, health tech has become slightly more acceptable for for use in healthcare in general, you know. And I think it has been for the better in some areas. For example, you know, we're now embracing remote discussions over you know Zoom equivalent with patients, you know, telephone conversations, and that's now more accepted than before. And actually, you know, some patients prefer that because they don't particularly want to come to hospital, get into their car. 
drive for however long, get try to battle to get a parking space, you know, find the change to pay for the parking. And it's it's a quite a quite a rigmarole and a challenge sometimes for people. And of course we would do remote consultations judiciously, you know, uh, according to patients' needs. But I think we can definitely be more mindful in trying to use technology for the better, definitely. I think you alluded earlier um, about how OYS um, came about. And um, I was just curious as to what prompted um, the development of OYS and, um, and how it came about. Yes, so um, so I started it originally thinking that we need digital tools to support people with health conditions. And it was by, I think I singled out cancer already because we felt cancer is an area where people get um, a diagnosis and it really turns their lives upside down. Um, and, and still the diagnosis of cancer, people feel feel even if it, it can be um, a, a not very a not very fast growing type of cancer or not an extremely dangerous type of cancer, people can still feel um, like they've had a life sentence and that that they're they essentially there's only one outcome which which would be um, death by cancer, which we now know is not not always necessary or the case. And lots of people can can live with cancer for a very long time. But so I I focused on cancer, and then um, I was living still abroad at the time, and I went home and and started talking to my brother, and we were only sort of sort of chatting, perhaps sort of a couple of times a year, perhaps three four times a year, and um, and actually all of a sudden it was like wow, you are, you are, he was essentially saying he developed already some e-learning and some, what we call then e-health type of um, modules that could be used on, uh, on the internet uh, for his work and for his academic research as well. And um, in his role as um, a clinical occupational physician for the Pink Ribbon Clinic at the uh, Dutch uh, Institute for, for Cancer Research in the Dutch National Hospital for, for, for Cancer, in Amsterdam, he said, "Well, he he really came across these these people asking for support using using digital technology, um, and that was back in 2012. So essentially, we said, okay, let's get started. I obviously had some experience setting a company, um, setting up a company before. So we started originally in the Netherlands um, and developed the very first version of OIs for breast cancer patients and um, launched that in the Netherlands." And that was uh, 2013. Um, so now it sounds like a, an incredible long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we thought all we were, technology now. <laughs> yes, it's almost a decade. And um, so yes, and, and it was really well received. Um, it was a time when people were still really on the internet. So we did a lot of research on forums and and talking to patients through through those um, groups. And we learned a tremendous amount. And that way we, we developed our first version. And it's really interesting, actually, for us. We then had it developed with a technology company. And then um, it was around 2014, 2015. And we came across the very first round of the NHS Innovation Accelerator that was um, that was started in, um, in the UK in 2015. And um, we were live in the Netherlands. We were happy there. It was very well received, but we also knew it was a very, it's a very small country. Um, it's about a quarter of, of, of the UK in terms of population. 
And, um, yeah, we felt there was a real, I felt also very comfortable working in a, in a UK environment and, and starting to work with the NHS. So we applied for that and we were incredibly lucky, I think, and proud to be selected to the very first cohort. And, and that really changed um, our lives in that all of a sudden we could start thinking and, and learning about how to work with the NHS and how to develop and then roll out OYS in the UK. And, and that has been a really interesting path. So that's really, that was then in 2015, we, we literally moved the whole company because we felt that was, um, that was better altogether. So we're a UK-based company. And, um, and we launched OYS for Breast Cancer in, uh, in the UK in 2016. Right. And what were the specific struggles and pain points that you identified from, you know, from breast cancer patients that really made you think, okay, this is, you know, we need to create something like this to help them? What we felt, what we noticed when we were um, really trying to understand what was, what were the issues with people affected um, by breast cancer there, there are a number of things. Um, first of all, I started talking to friends of friends who, who'd been diagnosed and just being treated. And, and this is one example of, of, of this friend of a friend who, who I, I met um, that I think can just exemplify what's, what's happening for people with breast cancer. Essentially, she, she told me how she'd been, how she'd been uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. She'd been treated with breast cancer and she really left it um, up to the hospital to decide. Obviously, it was a, a joint um, decision they made on, on how to, what type of surgery to take. But then after a while, she found out um, because she wasn't fully happy with the uh, experience she had at the hospital. So she asked for her pathology report. And as she was reading through that, she actually found out by chance herself that um, her margins weren't clean and that essentially not, not all the cancer and the tumor cells had been removed. So from that moment onward, she started searching for, for better, a better hospital, a second opinion, of course, and then a way to, to really have the right type of surgery, have the right type of reconstructive surgery and then the right treatment. And she's a, she's a young person. So for her, um, obviously she was then going to be receiving chemotherapy. And what really struck me during um, her story and what she experienced was that she felt all that time she was on her own. She was unique and she was the only one experiencing this. Mm. And um, obviously she, she was only in her 40s, so, so really relatively young. So she didn't have any friends um, with breast cancer, but um, she really felt she couldn't find uh, the right information. And at some point she told me, oh, I'm on this treatment that no one else is on. I'm the only one on there. And even though I'm, I am an expert in, in personalized medicine, I knew there is not such a thing just yet that there's just you receiving that treatment. And I felt she was so, she was angry. She was really confused um, yes. about getting the right information for her at the right time and getting the right support for her. So I know that perhaps she wouldn't have used a mobile app at that time, but people who were like her in her position, who would have then picked up a phone, I would them to have had the opportunity to download an app 
to give them support um, during that whole treatment pathway. And, and that's really what became one of the, the cornerstones of, of OWISE. It was really to see how can we make sure people get the right information at the right time so they can ask those questions as and when they need to ask them. So we wanted to essentially, I'm not saying we're not activists at all because we really follow all the guidelines in all the in the countries where we're live but we really wanted to make sure that people have the best education at their fingertips and another thing that struck me was that um, there's a lot of inequality in healthcare yes. that people who are um, more literate generally have better education they have better outcomes and I felt, well, one thing we can do with everyone now having a mobile phone in their pockets and is making sure they have, everyone has access to the same information, whether or not you have a doctor in your circle of friends or someone with great experience in healthcare in your circle of friends. So really to make sure that, that having, receiving good care um, obviously is very dependent on your hospitals and on your, on your clinicians and on your doctors, but that irrespective of that, you have access to other tools to give you also a really good good opportunity to get the right treatment. So for me, it was really the anxiety and the confusion that, that struck me that people have when they, when they have a diagnosis and the fact that essentially they're really depressed and traumatized during their early, yes. their early phase and very upset. And I thought if we can at least make their lives a little bit easier then that's already a massive gain for us. So for us, it became really important. And this is a little bit our, our, our I would say, probably one of our core values is we, we have to add value to patients' lives in whatever way, whatever way they need it. We need to make sure that if we are digital developers and digital tech developers, we need to listen to patients and give them what they want. And we're obviously interested in, in research and making sure we understand how patients respond to treatments and how to, how to give them better treatments in the long run. But in the short term, we need to make sure that we give people and people affected by cancer anything they need that we can using digital technology. So that's a little bit how we work. And, um, and that is incredibly rewarding. So we, we hold, and we in the past pre-COVID as well, we've, held lots of workshops to understand um, what people would like to have from an app. And we continue to do that, actually. We have another one tomorrow. So it never oh, stops right. and we do it now virtually. But, yeah, so we always listen to what it is and that changes over time. So we, we will develop new new features over time. Perhaps others will go over time. But it, it is a living thing from that point of view. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. That's really, really, that's great. That's really, really helpful. The, you know, the OWISE app is really well, you know, it's very intuitive. It's very well laid out. And uh, I was just wondering if you could just explain to those who are listening what it is all about, how it works and what kind of information people can put in Yes, of course. So the the app starts with um, we can we can give people personalized information and tailor made information based on the number of profile details. So all the apps and the all the all the the products we make start with building a profile, and that is relatively simple. But sometimes people are given very limited information by their doctors, for example. I'm not saying everywhere, but it's just sometimes people don't get all the information they need. But we recommend people 
to get as much information as possible from their clinical nurse specialists or the breast cancer nurses, just to make sure they have everything in their hands. But essentially, you can fill in as much information or as little as you have when you get started with the OIS app. And, and we recommend generally that the app is really useful from the first day of diagnosis. And, and the reason for, for that is that from the, the first day of diagnosis, people are very, very affected by it. And the app can really help people getting through that quite traumatic time a little bit uh, better. So you fill in a number of profile details that you have, for example, um, whether you're, you're, how big the size of your, your tumor is and if the grade has been tested and if lymph nodes have been found to be positive or not. So just a number of these sort of pathology, um, tumor characteristic type of things. You may fill in whether you know whether it's hormone receptor positive or HER2, which is another growth hormone, and whether that's been found to be uh, present in your, in, your, in your cancer. And then um, the, the app comes back immediately with a report that gives you some insights based on the information that you've given. So immediately you have a bit of a head start. You can start um, reading up about the type of cancer that you have, and it immediately gives you a list of tailor-made list of questions to help you prepare for your next doctor's visit. So that's really one way to get started. And what we've done as well is um, in the app, there's um, a secure audio recording function, which means that um, it's very easy to start a recording um, of your conversation with your, your doctor, for example. And um, it's secure in that you always be asked for permission. And then, um, so you have to get the approval of the, the other person in the room, essentially, whether it's okay to record that conversation. And we think that's just sort of polite because that's a nice thing for both parties to know. And then the next thing is that um, it's, um, it's also secure because that recording can't be tampered with. It can't be put on emails or websites or it can't be changed. So the only thing that people can do is listen back to it um, in their own time with or without family members or keep it as a, as a record of, of, of what happened at that time. But it's particularly useful to help people digest what was told during that particular hospital visit and that, that conversation with the, with the doctor, with the surgeon or the oncologist. And a lot of complex information is often being conveyed. You can only access that recording whilst you're on the app. Yes. So it will not sit on your phone. So um, the same with the camera roll. It's it's in the app. It's protected. It's secure. You can send it, but it's always encrypted. Um, so we we apply all sort of the, the high highest security standards to everything that you enter as a person in the app. But the same holds true for the audio recording. It is just a little file you cannot access. You cannot copy it. It's it's just it can only be be listened to in the app, and that's it. Right. Okay. Um, but it, it's really helpful for people who who are just being diagnosed, and the reason is that um, people forget everything. We have plenty of even this week, I think, or last week, the team heard some other. Uh, stories again of people whose whose partners sim well, also forgot what was being said during the, um, the hospital visits following diagnosis because everyone is in shock, not just the the patients, the partners, and and then they can listen back to it together and both hear things they hadn't hadn't heard before actually because sometimes things just just go past you. So so there is a range, of, but one of the real key features of the app as well is that it 
um, asks you very regularly how you feel at that moment today. So you can enter how you feel and um, develop um, sort of what we call trends. So you can see back um, how you were responding and how you were feeling over the past period. And that information is made very accessible for you and for a user. It's really easy to flick through and um, it can also be shared with a single click on a button can be shared with a nurse or a doctor, but also with a family member who you believe is, uh, is really wants to know how you're doing. So we've heard that a lot as well. People who want to share it with family members who live overseas and, and other people who just want to make sure that their father or their mother is well. And, and so this way it becomes also a real a useful communication tool to make sure that your your family around you or or your Macmillan nurse or your physiotherapist is aware of how you're doing and you're always in control yourself what you share with whom and um and we've made it really easy for people to use it that way and then there's a range of other things like glossaries there's there's, there's, a, there's a whole diary in there you see everything what you entered which day so it's really that one place where you have everything together thank you very much for for describing all of that because it does appear that the platform allows you to essentially dump everything around your breast cancer diagnosis into the app, you know, dumping in a good way. In other words, rather than, you know, jotting something down on a piece of paper and then in your diary and, you know, you have reports filed um, separately, you can all collate it into one place, you know, in a digital space. And then it allows you to access it whenever whenever you can. And I'm assuming this is all, as you, as you said, it's all, um, it respects confidentiality and it's GDPR compliant. Is that right? Absolutely. So, um, yes, when we started, um, with my previous research, we were already working under very stringent, uh, regulations from the U S. So I thought when we start something like this, we want to make sure that we simply don't have any personal identifiable details. So in addition to all the safety and security measures that we take by encrypting and hashing and what have you, um, we also just make sure we don't know who you are. We don't have your date of birth. We don't have a place where you live. We don't have an email address. We could never email you. So we've made sure we, um, it's really the platform where at least we try. It's always good to say that you think you do, you do your best, but we try to make it as secure as possible. We make sure that even if we get hacked, that everything is on separate servers. So you can't put two things together of one individual. So it becomes really difficult to ever hack this. I'm not saying is obviously this is the last thing I should say, but essentially it is really looked after from that point of view that people can really trust it. And perhaps one thing to mention is because we have an amazing um, CTO as well. He's in the Netherlands and um and and he told us because obviously we're in this space and we have a website and and we have some we 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 have a presence on facebook for example and um and he has told us no we won't do cookies on our website or in our products before we stopped using cookies i was gobsmacked about all the information we can see on uh on on google and the analytics system that google applies you can there's so much information of the users it's just it's really awful so we said he said well i don't want um people who have cancer and obviously most of us um people who work with us have had family members or people very close and we've been affected 
by cancer. So he said, I don't want people with cancer who go and try to help themselves and look on the internet to come to our site and to then leave a cookie with Facebook or uh, Google that they're on um, that are on our site and then receive targeted advertising after that for for products. Yeah, I'm sure you know quite a lot of a lot of the listeners know what a cookie is, but for those who don't, would you just be able to articulate what that is? Yes, it's a tiny bit of code. It's essentially like a tag that's is, that's attached to you when you visit one site from another. So when you visit one site and they ask you, can we can we now um, can we collect your cookies? Then you actually give them permission to follow you and to know where you're going after that and exactly see where you're going when you use a product, but particularly where you're going after that and where you've come from. And so it really enables these companies who, who then exploit it. And I think we've heard in the news things like Cambridge Analytics and things like that to build up really your life. So as a result of all these cookies, these big technology companies know more about you and your behavior than we actually know ourselves. And yes, um, you can say that's a good thing, but I think generally it's viewed as it's not a good thing, particularly if I have something that I don't want to share with everyone around me. For example, if I have a cancer diagnosis, I don't want necessarily anyone around me. For example, if I'm on an iPad and I've, if we'd had collected cookies, it could something like this could happen. I'm on an iPad, I look at OIs and then my husband, who I'm may not have told yet that I have cancer or my my dad who comes visiting uses his phone or his iPad and all of a see, all of a sudden sees products for cancer being advertised right. at him. So that right. is that is how cookies sort of follow you and your whole family member um, family surroundings may then know about what you've been looking for. And we just believe generally big technology companies should not know about my medical situation. And he felt very strongly that we should not give these big technology companies the opportunity to then make money with targeted advertising um, for people yes. who've been affected by, by things like cancer. And, and yeah, I have to agree. So we don't have cookies. We don't know where people are coming from. We don't know where they're going to. We simply have no information. So we do everything a little bit in the dark, which makes it really hard for us sometimes, you know, when I tell the team that, um, you know, how, how we need to reach out to people. We just don't know where they're coming from. Right. And um, we just need to do it that way. But it's it's really important, we believe, again, that you build a, a platform that can be trusted. And that's that's for us worth much more than 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 having having information, which then can be exploited by these big technology companies and, and earn them a tremendous amount of um, of money. I love that, you know, these considerations are being taken into account by your company. Yes, absolutely. So, and particularly with things that are sensitive. So, yeah, I think generally it's not a great thing, but particularly things you, you wouldn't tell everyone. And, and furthermore, you don't want to be reminded and targeted with advertising, again, from companies just trying to to make a good good return um, on on your condition, I think it's already sad enough, you know, that so many of us have 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 to cope with the diseases. Um, but let's not make that really like this profitable place where anyone who who just targets these groups can 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 make buckloads of money. Now, it's not I'm totally socialist, but I just feel that we shouldn't exploit weaknesses and. Uh, People, particularly things people have, haven't uh, 
ask for voluntarily. As a, as a core value, I think that that's highly, highly um, important, definitely, especially in the health space. Well, I think, and you know, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation and the app is, is really, really, uh, as I said, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's really useful. I think people who haven't checked it out, please do check it out because it is somewhere where you can put all your information, knowing that it is GDPR compliant, knowing that your information is stored safely that um, your privacy and confidentiality is being respected. Um, you can monitor your symptoms, which I think is another great thing that you can do on the app. Um, and I, I think that's very, very helpful. You know, for those people who are out there who are considering using a health app, could you give them any advice as to what they should look out for before they delve in and actually giving too much of their information to the app. Is there any general advice that they need to look out for? Yes, I think generally, I mean, there's, I think I forgot. I don't know how many health apps there are now at the moment. I think maybe 200,000 or something, a ridiculous amount. Oh, wow. That's huge. Didn't realize there was that many. Yeah, it's massive. I, we looked at a piece of research even two or three years ago and there were um, there were like 150,000 of them. So um, 200,000 doesn't strike me as totally off the mark, I think, today. But yeah, what is important is that there is uh, there's ad- accreditation um, associated with an app. So anyone can, can actually launch an app for, say, conditions or for, for people affected by, for example, cancer or some other serious condition. And you just want to make sure that um, not only that the the app does what it says, uh, essentially, that it does what it says on the tin, you know, you just want to make sure that it does it well. Um, but also, again, as you said, the security and privacy of your, your confidential details are, are, are kept that way. So the accreditations become quite important. So for the UK, there's the NHS apps library, um, which is now under revision. So there will be a new type of platform, um, which is essentially a website where people can go to. In the old days, it was NHS Choices. Then it became the NHS Apps Library. And obviously it's becoming um, a, another type of shop window, if you like, but where the NHS is essentially assessing apps. Yes. That may be one way. The other thing is that um, throughout the, the rest of Europe, um, there is something called CE marking. If you buy, um, you know, yourself a, a cable of some sort or a spoon or a thermometer, everything um, in Europe has to have this CE mark, which is, uh, again, a mark. And we are, for example, also, we also have a mark for uh, for the CE. And, um, and that is an important thing to see as well, because you've gone through a similar assessment. And that assessment is is done by um, different organizations that need to look at whether essentially your app does what you claim so that you can't right. make claims. Um, you, you have to make sure that um, what you claim can be really delivered on. Right. Yeah, that's, I think, important. And and again, for the safety and security, it is it is best that you look as well at um, at that mark too. But there are newer ways, perhaps better ways now to see if apps are GDPR compliant. Uh, but generally, I, I would really look carefully at that. Um, and then I think um, look at publications. Um, we've used um, a publication from a health 
institute called um, IQVIA that has gone through all these different apps and has rated them. And uh, fortunately, we did come out in the top 25, but they have lists of that. You can find that on the Internet. Okay. And um, yes. And then if there are clinical studies that evaluate health apps. So you want to make sure that your own app is um, studied in a clinical setting by doing what's called a clinical trial. Not unlike what's happening with, um, you know, the current um, COVID or the Corona vaccines or with any new drug that makes it to makes it to the market and needs to be tested. So the more and the better it's been tested in the literature, um, in the in the clinic, and the more literature has appeared, the better. Um, so we are, I think, the subject of about four different studies. And, and one of those is, is like what you called a randomized control trial. Well, that's perhaps too much information for here, but it just means it's a, it's a, it's a trial where it's really assessed what the impact is of OIs on, um, on patients, on their quality of life. So you just want to make sure that there's good uh, scientific studies underlying um, the app that you use. I think that's, those are the most important ones to look out for. That is fantastic information. Thank you so much. That's going to be really, really helpful for people to know exactly what to look out for because 200,000 health apps out there are probably going to is going to continue to grow. So to have certain benchmarks for people to look out for, to make sure that the, the health app that they decide to go with is robust and safe and, and can be trusted. So, and thank you so much for that, for, for that information. For people who want to connect with you, where should they find you? Where should they go? Well, easiest is to um, go via our website, perhaps, which is www.owise.uk. Um, the other thing is that we're on Facebook and Instagram. It's Owise app, all one word. So O-W-I-S-E app, all one word. And then we're on Twitter as well, Owise UK, I think it is. And um, anyone can always send us an email if you have any questions and you don't get any of the other things I've just said. It's info at owise.uk. Thank you so much, Anne, for today's conversation. It's been absolutely fascinating. And um, yeah, I hope at some point we can catch up very, very soon. Thank you, Tasha. It was fantastic to speak with you. Thanks so much for uh, for this really interesting conversation. So uh, look forward to catching up more soon. Thank you so much once again to Anne for her expertise and for her time. And do reach out to Anne. You can find um, the website at owise.uk. You can also find Anne and the team on social media. You can follow them on Instagram at owise.app and also on Twitter at owise underscore UK. And I will leave all of these links in the show notes at www.mybreastmyhealth.com forward slash episode 33. So I hope you have been enjoying these episodes and if you haven't done so yet, do hit that subscribe button. And also if you have a few moments to spare, I would love you to leave a rating and review because that will help promote the show to a wider audience and hopefully will benefit them as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and I shall see you in the next one. Take care. Bye. Bye.